Good morning, everyone. Wanted to just express my thanksgiving that we're able to be here and able to worship our God. I was given some announcements, but there were so many of them. I, I can only remember a fraction for everyone else. I apologize. I know that Logan Arrowwood, he is homesick. And um, I was told, Miss Patsy, I was told. Miss, Ar- Miss, yes, Miss Elizabeth Witt is also home, not doing well. She's sick. There are a few more that were given to me, and I apologize for not remembering. I don't know why I can't remember. <laughs> but um, one thing I wanted to share with you, I had some good news on Thursday that I have to share with you guys. I went to see the cardiologist, had my post-op um, checkup, and I was told that in three months, off all medication. And I'm telling you... That means UFC is back on. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I would be grateful if I could at least get back and doing some martial arts again and just not feel so old. Phil Barnes says I should just grow up and not do stuff like that. But <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'm very, very grateful, and I want to share the good news with you. On another note, um, last week, Kenny gave me an update on what's going on in the jails and and I could not help but get teary-eyed, get choked up, and I asked him to send me some information, and I'm going to share that with you for the next five or so minutes. The, the sermon itself, the message is extremely short, but I wanted to give you an update because it, if you don't get encouraged by this, then something's wrong with you as far as I'm concerned. So li- listen to some of what's going on right now. On Tuesdays, every Tuesday, uh, starting this Tuesday, we have a new Bible study in the Max security section of Davidson County Jail and it's just a wonderful opportunity that we um, are given it's just separate from our other days of the week it's not with T-Palm itself but naturally it's, we're in the jail so we're grateful for that um, so I'm asking for your prayers for that study on Fridays the women they go to CCA which is next to CDC in Davidson County and they have a Bible study going on there and and beyond that um, in fact, I even have some, some information over here. They're with the New Life Behavior. There's seven of the men going on Tuesdays. Seven, they're broken apart depending on how they're scheduled out. Seven um, going on Fridays for the women's class. On Sundays, there's a men's parenting class, and there's eight different men that divvy up their, their time to go on Sundays to preach those studies there. Then on Sundays as well, there's a men's worship service. That takes place, and there's 12 men, um, and then four women that also go with um, with the men for that Sunday service. And then we have a brother um, from Nashville. His name is John Jitton. He also goes for those services as well. Then on the second Sundays, um, the women's worship service at CCA takes place. And on the first Sunday, there is a TPW Tennessee Prison for Women where um, I know Kenny and Brenda have been doing that pretty exclusively, but now I was told that both uh, Shirley, Dart, Leah Hicks, and who else? Sheila Wilson, right? And Sheila just got certified yesterday. So the five of them get to handle that now and not just Kenny and and Brenda. Y'all, that's a ton of studies and worship services that we have. In fact, from the way Kenny broke it down, we have 28 men and women from the congregation that are going from, this, from Franklin and six more um, women from the Brentwood congregation that are helping out. So that's just giving you an idea of just how active the work that is going on in the jails. 
Kenny, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm estimating that we have in the ballpark of, of about maybe 200 baptisms over the last five years, give or take. That'd be a fair, fair statement. Uh, I know we've not been able to baptize as many because of logistics um, that, have, that is not allowing us right now, but it's just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity sharing God's word. He also told me that um, in addition to that, we also help with uh, Camp Cope. And so Camp Cope is where you have children whose parents are incarcerated. And so we have a number from the congregation that are serving as counselors um, to help out each year. And then the unsung heroes that take place every Tuesday morning are a bunch of women that literally can spend days and days printing out the material that we go to the jails with. I mean, we're talking many, many boxes or cases of reams of paper that, that go throughout the year for all the material that is being used for the lessons being taught in the jails. So just wanted to share with you that update because it's so, so very encouraging. Well, I was not keeping up with that, so apologize. Mm -hmm. But anyway, you, if you want information, I can email this out to you if you want to keep up with what's going on from that standpoint. But just praise God for the opportunity to share his word in this one area of our lives. All right. <laughs> I missed all the, the slides. Um, so Jesse gave us a reading out of Jeremiah 35, right? How many of you, well, I'm going to ask the question first and then I'll state this. How many of you don't ever remember reading Jeremiah 35 ever? Okay, for those of you that raise your hands, how many of you were here four years ago? Raise your hands. Most of you raised your hands earlier. I know who you are. <laughs> I gave this sermon four years ago. You guys, we read out of this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm not expecting you to remember. I don't even remember what I preached last week, so all right. Um, <laughs> no, but on, on a serious note, this is a passage that is so very um, uplifting as far as I'm concerned when it comes to family relationships. There is, there is one major point that I want to stress in, in addition to what we've been discussing with the family and our image being reflecting of our, our Heavenly Father, but that's this strong sense of family that I'm wanting to look at and just one point within this, this concept of a strong sense of family. You have to realize what's going on in the context of Jeremiah chapter 35 or what we call chapter 35. More importantly, just the people of God generally during this time frame. And then most importantly, how it compares and even contrasts to our family structure today. So that's what I'm wanting to look at. A very short sermon, but very important one. And so the first point I want to make, whether it's in the scriptures, as I've already talked about in the last couple of lessons, um, you know, we know there's no perfect family, right? We've gone through in our history of, of the survey of scriptures, there's not one family that we've looked at that is just like, wow, man, can you imagine how awesome the family is? This will be one of the closest families you'll get right here. And so if you don't remember Jeremiah 35 today, please remember it here forward because it is a great blessing to you if this is something that can be employed within your family. So we know no family is perfect, but we know there are families where parents are striving their best to teach their children. So whether it's Deuteronomy chapter 5 or in the book of Exodus where you've got the, the Ten Commandments, right? And among them is the teaching 
of parents to their children to honor them, right? Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise that you may live long on the earth, right? That's a promise given to this commandment. Just a beautiful, beautiful commandment, right? And so parents who love God will teach their children, among other things that they're teaching them, to honor them. Now, I want to stop here for just a minute because the series is really focused in on our being able to be molded in the image of God. And that's why we looked at the whole covenant of marriage last week from an image standpoint, right? Reflecting his image. And every aspect of the family relationship is supposed to reflect that image. And here is one when we're talking about honoring our parents that actually reflects part of the image of God. It's one of the facets, right? And so here in like Philippians chapter 2, you can read the passage, right? Jesus is told that he came in the likeness of men, right? And in the likeness of man, this is God coming down and submitting to the Father in every which way, even to the point of going to the cross, right? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, right? Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on explaining. That's because that concept of honoring the head is very crucial, So here are parents striving to teach their children this very concept, honor your father and mother, right? So that when they teach you things, you give them and pay them respect. When you grow up and and you're older and they get old, you honor them in other ways by paying them respect and caring for them and so on and so forth. That's all throughout scripture. But just because you teach your children, does that mean that they're going to listen? Not necessarily, right? Train up your children in the way they should go, Proverbs 22, verse 7, right? Or maybe verse 6. And, and here is this text where, well, you train them up, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to listen. Same thing here. We can train our children to honor their parents, right? Honor us as parents, just like our parents hopefully taught us that. But children, however, that's their prerogative. It's going to be their decision. Now, Imagine when children are really young. I don't know about you, but uh, I plead guilty. I'm more controlling than I'd like to admit. Um, you know, when my children are real young, if you don't do it, I ground you or I spank you. One of those two. That's what I've done. And, and my children don't like it when I do that. In fact, Carolyn cries just the thought of me possibly thinking of spanking her. She just, will, she just doesn't want to. She would rather listen. That's her. I'm not going to name any other children in the family, but uh, some, of, <laughs> some of them just stubborn just like their dad. <laughs> so, um, that happens, and so they, they don't want any part of it. They're willing to get spanked and say, yeah, I'm still I'm tough. You know, I can handle that. And it just that's what happens. Yet children have prerogative. They have their own mind. They have their own will. But children who do honor their parents are given a blessing from God. That's the reality. So children, I want you to stop and think about this. You have a choice, hopefully, to listen to mom and dad, particularly if they're trying to train you up in the way of the Lord. You may not always agree with their teaching, but you can respect and honor that very teaching that they're striving to give to you. So children, I know if you're old enough to hear my words, to understand what I'm saying, listen to mom and dad. It is not because of just pure selfishness, although parents are selfish at times. 
in the convenience of their parenting. But by and large, we as parents want to raise you up to be wonderful blessings in your family, in your community, but ultimately to glorify God, right? That you may have fellowship with him. And so that's the passage being taught in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, part of the, the Ten Commandments. That said, there is this one family that stands out, really biblically speaking, among many families. And this family is not a typical Jewish family. In fact, history believes that they're from the Kenites and that they join themselves to the Israelites with regard to um, worshiping God and being among the people of God. And so about 200, maybe 250 years before this time of Jeremiah is this man named Rechab and then his son Jehonadab or Jonadab, depending on which translation that you have. And this patriarch told his children and made sure that not only his children, but his grandchildren and great-grandchildren and every other generation going forward would listen to his words. And we just happen to be four generations along the way, give or take, right? If you want to add the little children in on this conversation. So that when Jeremiah is told by God to bring the family of the Rechabites to the temple, here's what I want you to do. So that's the concept here. Right, And we're going to get into that in just a second. But imagine that your great-grandfather told you, here's how I want you to live your life. I can tell you right now, I don't have, my dad has not given me an ultimatum saying, here's how I want you to raise your children. Let alone my grandfather, my, my great-grandfather. I don't remember anything that my dad passed down to me from that. I love my dad, but I know that he's not. He's not giving me that. How many of you as fathers have given this kind of a statement that Jesse just read for us? Let's think about it. Let's think about that. If you go back in time, 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 15, verse 23, there is a time in which there, um, there was a man named Jehu. And, of course, Jehu is very ze ze zealous, if you will, for God. And he is going to destroy all this Baal worshipers. Right? He goes overboard. And for that, he is going to be chastened, struck down by God. But he has a zeal for him, for God. And he happens to see his friend, Jonadab, and says, Are you and your heart knitted with mine? Right? So he says, Yes. He says, Come. So he gets up in the chariot. They go off, and they destroy all these Baal worshipers. He's mentioned here in Jeremiah 35. This is the patriarch that we're talking about. And what he tells his children is very explicit as was read. I'm going to read it one more time. I'm not going to read the whole 19 verses, but I want to read some of it. And I want to let it sink in what he is telling them. And then I'm going to get into a little cultural history here for just a minute, just so you get a sense of how big this was, that the children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren are still keeping his words. All right? So again, Jeremiah 35, look at what he says. Yahweh says to Jeremiah the prophet, verse 2, Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. That's what he says. Okay? So, 
I want you to take this family, and I want you to bring them to the temple, and in the temple, right, this is the, um, one of the chambers within the temple after the one that had been built by David or Solomon. Here is a chamber within this temple where he says you bring them in here and you give them wine to drink. You get bowls or pitchers and you get cups and you make them drink this wine. And there's a reason for that, right? God knew this family doesn't drink any wine. Here's what was said. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites, verse 5, bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. They said, we will drink no wine. Now, hear this out. A prophet is telling you, in the name of God, drink this. And I'm like, uh-uh, we're not going to do it. Imagine the tension. You're told to do something by God's servant, the prophet. But you've also been told to do something by your forefather. Someone who died many years ago. And they're standing up to this prophet. They're standing up to the very command of God to drink this wine. They said again in verse 6, we will drink no wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine, you nor your sons, forever. You shall not build a house. You shall not sow seed. You shall not plant a vineyard, nor shall you have any of these things. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. It is presupposed that, that this family of Kenites were Arabs. and they were, They'd be nomadic. They'd be travelers. And that they, when they settled in the land of Palestine with the rest of the Israelites, that they continued to live nomadic lifestyles. And now, think about it. They're not being arbitrary. Jonadab is not being arbitrary. He's not saying, I just want you to live this way just because this is our family history. He says it very clearly what the reason is. He says to them in the latter part of verse 7, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. It's almost um, similar to what Peter's words about us being pilgrims on earth. Very similar. He was very clear and adamant that he wants not only this, this first generation of his ch children, but succeeding generations to follow through with this. That is absolutely amazing to have that kind of a command where your children are going to honor you. And when you die, your children's children still honor you. And your grandchildren's children still, to this day, honor you. Because that's the context of what's going on during this time. The problem with the, the Jews during this time, in contrast to the Rechabites, is that many of the Jews were not listening to Yahweh. Here is God telling them, here's what I want you to do, and they're not listening to him. And you contrast that with a human father 
who is not of the, any of the 12 tribes of Israel, supposedly, and he tells his children what to do, and they listen. Second generation, third generation, fourth generation, they still listen to him. That's the contrast that you have of this picture. It's generation after generation that the Rechabites learn to honor their parents. Anyone find this amazing? I do. I pray to God that my children honor me and Julie. I'm not even concerned about grandchildren or great-grandchildren. I just want my children to honor me. And that would be a huge blessing to me and Julie. And here, this is going on for multiple generations. It's absolutely a phenomenal illustration that God uses and illustrates the contrast between Israelites who are the children of God, who are disobedient to their heavenly father, with this human father whose children and grandchildren or great-grandchildren are obedient to him. So remember, here's just real, real quick. Don't drink the wine. Don't build a house. Don't sow seed. Don't plant a vineyard. And this is not because the children couldn't do any of these things from a legal standpoint. By law, you go to Deuteronomy uh, 14, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if you go to Numbers chapter 6, so Deuteronomy, I think, 14, the, the Passover. I mentioned it in our Bible class this morning. Whenever people would come together to Jerusalem or, or the place that was going to be for worship, if they were from a long distance, they would sell, I mean, bring money and sell or purchase, transact for the wine and the milk and other things that would be used for their worship, right? That's one. Or if they took a Nazarite vow, there was another. In the first passage, in Deuteronomy 14, you drink all of these things. In, ne in Numbers chapter 6, when you take the Nazarite vow, you stop. You have nothing to do with it, not even taking of grape. Very clear. If you are a Levite or if you are specifically a priest in worship, do, uh, Leviticus chapter 10, verse 9 following, you are forbidden from these things. But for the rest of the Israelites that is not worshiping at the, at the temple site, or not under a Nazarite vow, you are free legally to drink the wine, among other laws. You can build your houses. You can sow your seed. But yet, here is Jonadab telling them, don't do any of these things. I want you to live well and prosper. And without going into details, because none of them are explained to us today, other than the saying, that you may live well and long. That's the reason why I want you to listen to my command. And the children listened. And the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren listened. Even when the law would give them opportunity otherwise. That's what's given. And that's what's so amazing about this passage in Jeremiah 35. Godly, godly family that we're seeing here. In Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to go to that passage real quick, and I want you to read the text here in Hebrews. Naturally, you know, passage of, of great faith being employed throughout, illustrated throughout this chapter. But in Hebrews 11, 
Backing up to verse 8, by faith Abram obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance and went out, not knowing where he was going. And by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Very similar wording that you get with the Rechabite family, that they would live this way as foreigners in the land of promise. Beautiful. That's what I want for my children and my grandchildren, all my descendants. That's what you see here. They were going to sojourn in this land of promise. And that's exactly what Jeremiah, in fact, by the time of Jeremiah's day, the children of Jonadab, the Rechabites, they started living in the city walls of Jerusalem. But not because they wanted to. It was out of desperation. I mean, you've got the Assyrians that came down, took the northern kingdom away, and now they've been knocking on the door of those from Judah. And so their land is, is being plundered by the Assyrians. Now the, the Babylonians are doorstepping, and they don't want any part of the Babylonian Empire. And so they come into the city walls that are protected out of necessity, not because they wanted to forsake their great-grandfather. So there, there's a huge difference of what you're seeing and what they were doing. And they're making it very clear, we cannot do this thing that you are telling us to do because we've been commanded by a grandfather. And we're going to do our best to keep his commandments. So that's the honor that you see. Extrapolate that from Jeremiah 35 to the way we're raising our children. Sometimes you have parents that say to the children, you know, I don't want you guys going to the prom. That's, you hear sermons along those lines because of what's associated. Some parents say it's all right. They're going to behave and everything. Other parents are like, you have nothing to do with it. And the children, some children, actually do not revolt against their parents. They actually say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Because you love us and you want what's best for our souls and we're going to follow you. Then there are children that are saying, are you crazy, mom, dad? Do you live under a rock? Don't you know that I'll behave, I'm going to be good, I will, I'll do all the right things, but I really want to go to this thing. And that's just one illustration. that We could choose so many others. There's a lot of things that parents want their children to do, to do that many children are like, I don't want to do that. That's typical. What's atypical is when children graciously, lovingly accept what mom and dad say. Children, let me tell you, if you're that child, you're a great blessing to your parents. Now, the rest of us that are more rebellious, and I'd be one of those when I was growing up, think about the heartache we give to our parents. More importantly, Think of the blessing that we're missing out from God himself. Because God wants to bless you. But honoring your parents is a crucial thing. And sometimes it's not until when we're older adults before we begin to even understand and realize the concept of honoring our parents. Some of us as children have never learned it. Children of God, not learning to truly honor our parents. So let this lesson be very very crucial to you because God blesses those who honor their fathers and mothers in the Lord, right? 
Here's what Jonadab, the son of Rechab shall not lack a man to stand before me always. I have to say, I'm, I'm covetous of those words. I would love for God's word to say of Mitch and Julie and for every parent that is in this room, you would not have any of your future descendants to not stand before him. Beautiful words. But what do we do as parents? Do we take the time to teach our children the hard things that we want for them, for their benefit? Even if everyone else, well, everyone else is doing this. Everyone else gets to do such and such. You know, God's word doesn't say we cannot do such and such, right? Have you not heard that, parents? <laughs> and how many of them simply say, yes, ma'am. I know you love us, mom. I know you love us, dad. And we'll do it. Those are the words that God gave to the Israelites because he wanted them to honor him. And that's ultimately what happens, right? When you honor your father and mother, you're actually doing the Lord's will. You're actually serving God in faithfulness. And it is a lost practice, this, this concept of honoring father and mother today. Today we live in fragmented society, right? And not only is it fragmented in that we go off in all geographic regions. I mean, living in Hawaii and now I'm here in Tennessee. That's pretty fragmented. <laughs> I have another sister in Arizona, another sister in California, and one of my sisters still on Maui. We're all over the place. But it's not just the geographic fragmentation. It's this so many where children just completely have nothing with mom and dad. That's common today. You know, I cannot wait till I grow up and I get to get out and actually live on my own and do what I want to do. That concept. That's rampant in our culture including among many Christian families. And it's one thing that we want to raise our children to have their own faith, right? We don't want it to be ours just because we told them to do so. We want them to have a mature biblical faith. But let's be honest. Do we like to think that our faith is our own and it's mature and it's biblical and that we want our children to have that very thing that we have? I'd like to think so. Can you imagine going, I stink as a Christian, and I don't want my children to do anything that I'm doing. I mean, well, if we have any sense of morality and sensibility, we will change our lives and become better as, as individuals and then train our children to follow that same pattern. So that's what we're talking about here, right? Ephesians chapter 6, <coughs> right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that you may live well, that you may live long on the face of the earth. That's a promise. And very clearly the promise God wants us to all enjoy. Well, I'm going to finish off with this slide. Children, if you can get anything from today's sermon, if you can value your mom and your dad, in other words, you hold your mom and dad in high esteem, not not forsaking the teachings that we all fall short of God's glory. Your parents, every one of your parents in this room, we're all sinners. We all mess up as parents. We mess up just simply as being human beings. 
but we're trying to raise you, generally speaking, to a lesser or greater degree from family to family, we're trying to raise you to love God. We're trying to raise you to have faith that he exists in some cases. We're trying to raise you to teach you to be morally upstanding citizens, not only in the kingdom of God, but in this culture, this community that we live in. We're trying to raise you to be such where you become shining lights for people in this world who need Jesus, who need salvation. And so if you value your parents while you are children, show them that kind of honor as they're teaching you. Know that they love you with everything. And that's why they discipline you. Hebrews chapter 12, right? Verses 1 through 11. They discipline you because they love you. And it may be difficult, but the peaceable fruits that take place down the road, it's for your benefit. It's for your blessing. That's your exhortation. Many of us here in this room, we may be grown up. We still can honor our parents, right? What a great way. Nice to see Miss Carlotta's family. They're all together. They get to visit. What wonderful blessings to have family together. Keep honoring your parents to the very last breath that they have. And even when they go to their grave, continue to honor them. Here's the big lesson. This passage in Jeremiah 35 that we extrapolate from the teachings of Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6 about honoring your father and mother, which is the first commandment, it's ultimately that we get to honor our heavenly father who has begotten us through Jesus Christ. And if we can honor him, we have everlasting life. You talk about long life forever. That's the promise that he gives to you. And if you want that promise fulfilled in your life, you're going to have to humble yourself, give up your will, because he loves you and knows what's best for you. He's God. When you honor him, he'll give you that everlasting life. That watery grave of baptism is that transition from self-will to selflessness, where you humble yourself before your heavenly father and submit to him for your sake. Do you want that? That's your invitation. And if you need prayers, brethren, by all means, ask, and we'll be pray, praying for you as much as we can for your sake. That's the invitation as we stand and sing this song.